Good morning, good morning. It is great to be in God's house on such a beautiful day as this. If you have your Bibles, I would like you to take them. If you have your little iPad and smartphones, I could ask you to take those as well and turn with me to the Gospel, not the Gospel, the book of Acts, chapter 13. Our text today will be from verse 44 down through the end of the chapter through verse 52. This will be the last week that we are in our series in the book of Acts, the church in action for the next couple months. We're going to take a break. We'll return to Acts in the fall, but we're going to take time over the next two months um, to look at a summer series on the Beatitudes from Matthew chapter 5, and I'm looking forward to that. But this is a neat text, a challenging text, an interesting text for all of us to learn from this morning. Before we read that, I would invite you to bow your heads with me. We ask for God's help as we learn this morning. Father, I want to thank you so much that you allow us this privilege to come to you through the Lord Jesus Christ, the mediator and intercessor between us and you, in all of your holiness, you see us, you know us, and you love us through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pause on that very thought. We offer, Lord, our gratitude to you for sending your own Son to die in our place. I thank you, Lord, for each person that is here today, every heart every home that is represented. Father, I would ask right now that you would allow your spirit to minister to our hearts through your word, through the teaching and preaching of your word. God, I ask for help for my own mind and hearts and speech that it would be glorifying to you and to you alone. Father, we come upon a subject today that is difficult in our limited minds and capacity and understanding to completely wrap our minds around. But we thank you, Lord, that you know everyone and you know everything. Lord, as we pause now, we ask, Lord, that you would enable us to trust you and you alone. As we seek to communicate with great conviction and clarity the message of the gospel. God ministers specially to people that are here today that are struggling, perhaps their hearts are in a moment of unrest. People may be worried, exhausted from a busy week, or anxious about the week to come. God, I would ask that you would minister to each person as you see fit. Guide us now and direct us, and may you be glorified. In your name we pray. Amen. Today I want to talk about the fact that you can know, you can know certain things. I brought with me, I, I, I collect these. This is kind of an odd, weird collection. My kids will make fun of me. <clears throat> this is a baseball. It's nine inches in circumference. It weighs 5.5 ounces. And I've done this on many occasions, and I'll do it for you here today. If you took this baseball and you dropped it, It's going to fall to the ground. Pretty brilliant thought, isn't it? 
There's a force out there in this world. It's called the force or the law of gravity that pulls anything that you let go of to the ground. We know this to be true. You could do that one time. You could do that 10,000 times. And the same exact thing is going to happen. It's going to fall to the ground. We know certain truths exist. Same idea when we understand the truth of God's Word. We have been talking about the local church. We've been studying the church. We've been talking about the fact that the gospel continues to go global. We've talked about who we are as a church and who the church is. Let me remind you this morning that the church of Jesus Christ is not made up of people who go to a building called a church. The church of Jesus Christ is not made up of people who call themselves Christians. That does not make up the local church. The church of Jesus Christ is made up of, is comprised of individuals who have literally surrendered your entire life. Lord, here am I. You have surrendered your life to God and you are following The Lord Jesus Christ, as Lord, which means He is the one who has authority over you, and as Savior. Now, if you recall as well, the Holy Spirit does not empower the local church of Jesus Christ so that we just kind of get dressed, brush our teeth, comb our hair, and look pretty. The Holy Spirit does not empower us to practice the Holy Spirit does not empower us to get your gear and to go sit on the bench and wait until He returns. The Holy Spirit empowers us, what? Why? To be involved. To be in the game. The Holy Spirit empowers us. Why? Because we have been... Purchased by His own blood, we have been positioned as His very own. The Holy Spirit has empowered the local church of Jesus Christ to reflect the image of God in this world. The Holy Spirit has empowered us to pursue holiness in our living, to pursue righteousness, and to affect our culture and to engage our culture. The Holy Spirit has not empowered the true church of Jesus Christ just to exist. We are what? We are salt that seasons and we are light that brightens. Now throughout our entire series, we actually began this last September. We have been looking at the truth that, that we are to be moving forward to impact the culture and yet it seems still that the church of Jesus Christ almost runs parallel to our culture. It doesn't, it doesn't affect it. We've almost created what we could call a subculture of Christianity. Where there's certain people that they wear a Christian t-shirt and they say, well, that's us. That's who we are. No, that's not really who the church of Jesus Christ is. We're not kinda, sorta people that 
that live in this world. We're not kind of sort of listening to Christian music and kind of sort of living a little bit differently. No, that's not the church of Jesus Christ. We don't let bumper stickers and little keychains do our work for us. The Holy Spirit has empowered us to connect and to impact. To actually affect change around you. That's what the Holy Spirit has called us and empowered us to be. I like the way Charles Spurgeon says it. He says it hundred plus years ago. He says that we are to be dogmatically true, obstinately holy, immovably honest, desperately kind, and fixedly upright. And so as we examine this idea of the local church, we enter this culture with this understanding. The church is what it is grounded upon the bedrock, the authority of God's Word, the Bible. We believe it to be inerrant, it is without error, and it is infallible. The church of Jesus Christ, who has been empowered by the Holy Spirit and rests upon this, speaks a certain way, and we speak of a certain thing. What do we speak about? We speak about the one, holy, infinite, sovereign, creator, God of all. We speak of that regularly. We speak of that one God. A church... Real church that's been empowered by the Holy Spirit that has a bedrock of this speaks of a holy God and also speaks about the fact what that we as as human beings rebel in our hearts against that holy God that it is impossible to have a relationship as sinful men with a holy God apart from a Savior. And we believe, according to the authority of this word, that the only Savior for all of mankind is the one who has died in the place that we deserve to die on the cross, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Just last week, we saw in Acts chapter 13, verse 32, we actually saw the, the phrase. Paul, in this message that he was preaching, he called it what? He called it the good news. Acts chapter 13, verse 32. We, as rebellious people, with the bent towards sin, can have a relationship with a holy, infinite God because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we speak of that. It's called good news. Many people, when we speak of this, I want you to know it, just like a ball falls to the ground every single time. I want you to know that when we speak of the gospel, many people will respond in many varying ways. Whenever we share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, good news, I want you to know this as, 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 as firm as you know the law of gravity exists. Know that people will respond in a multitude, in, in various ways. This portion of scripture in Acts 13 has to do with this subject, how the word of God is heard and how the word of God is responded to by many people. Now, I don't know about you, but people fascinate me. I've told you that. Not only have been interested, I've been fascinated with the way that some people respond so openly to the gospel and other people reject the gospel with such hatred and seething animosity. And that is an interest to me. Why is that? 
Why is it that it seems like that there are varying degrees of coldness and warmth, receptivity and rejection? Why is it in the very next chapter, in Acts chapter 14, that Paul is preaching in Lystra and it says this. It says that they stoned him and they drug him out of the city and they left him for dead. He's preaching the good news. Why is that when by the time you get to Acts 17, Paul is preaching at Thessalonica and it says what? Some were persuaded. Some joined Paul and Silas as did a great number of Greeks and not a few of the leading women in verses 3 and 4. Why is that? We know that there's different responses. Why? Why is it in Acts chapter 17 and verse 32, Paul is preaching in Athens and it says what? When they heard of the resurrection, he spoke of Jesus. Why is it some mocked? They made fun of him while others said, we will hear of you again on this matter. However, some joined him and believed. Why is that? Now, don't for a moment relegate yourself to, well, that's a history lesson from a long time ago. No, 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 no. This is important for you and I today because get this. The same way that people respond in Antioch, the same way that people respond in Lystra, the area of Galatia, is the exact same way that people today respond to the gospel in Lock Haven and Castanea and Mill Hall and Avis and Woolworths. It's exactly the same thing. So what we need to understand with this, as we read this text, is this. Can you, will you, and I remain faithful in the endeavor of what God has called us to do? Will you and I remain faithful in the endeavor to what God has called us to do? Here it is. Here's our text. Acts chapter 13, verse 44, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and they began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life, believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city And they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas. And they drove them out of their district. But they, speaking of Paul and Barnabas, shook off the dust from their feet against them. And they went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Let me give you this morning two things that you can know. The first one is this. Whenever we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, I want you to know some will reject 
oppose and get angry. Know that. I don't want you to be shocked. No, some people will reject, will oppose and get angry. In verse 44, it tells us the next Sabbath, if you recall, it has been one week since Paul and Barnabas returned back to the synagogue and basically pick up where they just left off. If you recall last week, we looked at this whole message that the Apostle Paul preached. John Piper calls it the most God-centered message in all of the Bible. It was all about what God was doing. Now, at this particular time, the whole city was excited to hear the teaching of the Word of God. Now, I'm pretty certain that from Sunday, last Sunday when Paul is preaching, to this Sunday when he's preaching, I don't think that he and Barnabas were kind of just sipping lattes in a corner cafe without dialoguing or talking or what? Encouraging or engaging the culture that they were in. I believe that they were making an impression on the people. Why? Because it gives indication in verse 42. The Gentiles actually begged them. They entreated them. They implored them. We want to hear more. This is a ready audience. Some of them. However, you will notice in verse 45 that in contrast to those that are interested to the message, there are also those that are what? They are infuriated with the message and by the message, particularly the Jewish listeners. As this crowd gathers, unbelieving Jews fume. I can see, remember the cartoons? Smoke just coming out of their ears. Furious as to what is being taught. Several words describe their animosity. It says that they were filled with jealousy. Verse verse 45, it talks about the fact that they were contradicting what was spoken. It's the word antelego. It means what? It means that they will say anything against what, what, what Paul and Barnabas are preaching. Paul and Barnabas are preaching and they're over there in a sense. What? That's not true. Don't believe that. That's not good. Does that not sound like many people in our own culture today that work against the church of Jesus Christ? Another phrase that we see in verse 45, it says that they were reviling them. It's the word blaspheming them. They're vilifying them. It's those that just simply what say what? Boo! Remember Princess Brides? Boo! That's really the idea as to what's happening here. Verse 50 is another phrase that says that they incite it. They actually are stirring up. They're mixing up persecution. It says that they drove them out. Very clear as far as the description, as far as how some people are responding to the gospel that is being presented. The whole scene Sounds somewhat reminiscent of a couple weeks ago with Barhesus, who's attempting to make what? Make the straight ways crooked. I think about the fact that misery loves company. And so what these Jewish listeners, they attempt to confuse and to cloud, to distract, to pervert, to, to denigrate and downplay what was being spoken. I want you to understand whether or not it's here 
or whether or not it's today, first century, 21st century, this is nothing new. Psalm 2 says what? The heathen rage. And the people imagine a vain thing. Now, as we understand, you can know that this is going to happen. We also have to have this, this idea of being okay with those that reject. Wait, wait a minute. Okay, not as far as what we don't care for them, but okay with an understanding of not being shocked. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like rejection. When I think of rejection, I think of a number of years ago, my older brother Scott and I were traveling from Halifax down to Philadelphia. We were driving together in, in, in a 67 Chevelle Malibu, completely rusted out. We actually named the car Jeremiah. And we were almost to, to Philadelphia. We were actually in New Jersey. We were in Hackensack, New Jersey. We actually got off the wrong accident. We were kind of lost. And we broke down in January. And it was our first time that we had to hitchhike in our entire lives. I was probably 17. My brother would have been 20. And we left Jeremiah kind of cold and lonely on the road in our, in our, in our, and we walked one particular, we had to get to a, 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 a parts store or a gas station or something. And I remember I said, okay, you're the older brother. You got to do this first. I'm not. And so he's fine. I'll do that. And as we hear a car, he's, he's kind of pulling one of these, you know, and then as soon as the car gets almost there, he kind of goes like this. And then he's like, okay, it's your turn. I'm like, well, no, that's not how it does. And, and I remember how difficult it was. I'm like, fine, then, then I'll do it. And the same thing is, 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 is you hear the car approaching, I'm kind of doing the old. And we just couldn't. We literally, I will honestly tell you, we walked 11 miles. We figured out later on, 11 miles. Because we couldn't quite handle what we're just putting this out and then we can't because I'm not, I just can't handle somebody who's driving by. Maybe we were firm too much as children. I don't know. But we couldn't deal with people just rejecting us. And so we decided to walk away because we hate, naturally, we hate rejection. I want you to understand there will always be adversaries of the gospel. Those that openly contradict this message, they will use nasty and slanted language against it. That's exactly what happens in this particular case. Rooted in what? Rooted in pride. Rooted in selfishness. The exact same thing happens here. The Jews simply lash out at Paul and Barnabas. Christians today, the exact same thing happens. Change the setting and the scenery. Okay, the exact same thing happens. Christians today are still criticized when we present the message of the gospel as religious freaks, as quacks, as weirdos, as hypocritical, as haters. There's a thousand terms. It's a matter of fact, and you know it's true, that a day does not go by without someone in some media message, without us hearing yet one more criticism that is labeled against the what? Against the religious rights. When one speaks up 
about the sanctity of life. That is what, that is the preserving and protecting the life of the unborn. And Christians are what? And Christians are chauvinists. And they don't care about women. And that's not the truth. When Christians speak up about the sacredness of marriage that God has ordained between a man and a woman, and it's not between two men, and it's not between two women, that's not natural. They don't fit together. Not in marriage. When Christians speak up about that, then what? Then the church is filled with haters. We hate gays and lesbians. That is not true. We are committed to speak the truth, the bedrock of God's inerrant and infallible word. We are committed, Ephesians 4, to speak the truth in love. I find it interesting in light of all the attacks and the criticisms that are labeled constantly against the church of Jesus Christ, that it's, it's, it's the evangelical church that seems to be the first that arrives in places like New Orleans or New York or Haiti when there's disaster and destruction and devastation. It seems to be that the church is the first one to arrive. When there was genocide, in parts of Africa and Rwanda and Uganda and Liberia and Somalia, that, that it's the church of Jesus Christ that, that arrives to minister to the boy soldiers or those whose parents have been killed and are left as orphans. It's the church of Jesus Christ that goes into places, the slums and the brothels of Bangkok, Thailand. It's the church of Jesus Christ who goes to the cities of Bangalore and Bombay and Delhi and India to minister to little girls that are caught in, in sex trade and, and trafficking. It's the church of Jesus Christ who rides in those types of places. It's the true followers of Jesus Christ who are committed to offering food to the hungry, who are digging wells and building schools and building orphanages. It's the true church of Jesus Christ that arrives all over the world and does that. And yet for some reason there still is a message of hate. And we have to understand that. We have to know that that will exist. In verse 50, it says that the Jews in opposition simply to hinder and obstruct. What do they do? What is their tactic? They go to the influential. They go to the leading men and women of Antioch. The wealthy, the prominent, those that are in governing authority, the town council members, the movers and the shakers. They go to those individuals to convince them that the message of Jesus Christ, the exclusive good news of the gospel, is dangerous. And you have to be, be wary of it. People understand if you and I are going to stand for something, be assured that someone is going to stand against you. If you examine some of the cultural observations of our day, we have to understand what it is. Let me give you a couple cultural observations of our day. Doubt today is actually seen as a virtue. But the world 
in a sense, gives special status to anyone who questions everything that is out there. That's the world that we live in. That's the culture that we are called to counter. Culture is viewed as neutral. No, no, actually, the culture either moves us closer to God or further from God. The culture is not neutral. We have to understand the day that we live in. Experience reigns supreme. No, experience takes a back word to that which we know to be true. And that is what? The word of God's. Another observation of today is that everyone's view is equally valid. No, no, that can't be. Not everyone cannot be right. You'd say that there's no absolute truth. We, we, cannot, we cannot have the truth reduced what, to relativism and just kind of sh- just close the truth up into, lock it up into a closet. No, that's not true. Atonement is optional. Well, if you want it, no, actually, Christ's atonement is required by every single one of us if we desire to have, what, a right relationship and right standing before a holy God. Cultural observation of our days is psychology is more important than theology. No, it's not. Earthly blessings are more important and crucial than heavenly blessings. And so people live and focus on that which is here, what they touch here. And they focus more on the temporal as opposed to the eternal. Understand, that is the day that we live in. Don't be shocked or surprised. Thankfully, we have as an example in verses 46 and 47 of Paul and Barnabas. I love their response here because it teaches us how to respond. Not the fact that we will know that there's going to be those who oppose. They are not easily intimidated. These guys simply do not flinch. They tell the unbelieving Jews in their rejection of Christ. Look what it says in verse 46. It says that you thrust it aside and you judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Realize what Paul is saying here? By your belief of rejecting that which is being helped and offered to you, you are literally condemning yourself to hell. And we've got to understand that this is a, a fearsome reality. When we come to the gospel, Romans chapter 1, these, these words, God gave them up. God gave them over to their own lusts. And God will do that. Think about it. The Lord says, if you don't want me, you reject me, then you will suffer the consequences. And rebels who reject Christ will receive what? His condemnation, hell, sadly, tragically, the reality of a literal hell will be inhabited by people who insist that they want to live life their way as opposed to the way of the gospel. I've oftentimes wondered, what what if Paul and Barnabas caved here? What if they collapsed? What if they got scared and squeamish and ran? Thankfully, they did not. It says that they stuck in accordance to the gospel. And it says by the time later on that they just simply shook off the dust from their feet. Literally, they would take their their sandals off. They would clap them together as a symbol. Just as the dust falls off as acknowledgement 
the word of God, the spirit of God was not welcome in this community. Sadly, the exact same thing happens in certain communities, I believe, in certain countries. We have to understand the truth of the gospel that some will reject, oppose, and get angry. Secondly, also, I want you to know this. You can be certain that some will accept, rejoice, and be thankful. Some will accept, some will rejoice and be thankful. Verse 48, salvation for the Gentiles, excuse me, infuriated the Jews. But it caused great rejoicing. What does it say? Excuse me. They were glad and they glorified the word of the Lord. I love this. this, They were glad. They were joyful. We We have Christians today that seem like that it's like, Sucking on a dill pickle or something. Coming to church is like painful and misery. Time to read the Bible. I just am so tired of reading the Bible. Time to No, they received this with gladness, with joy, the same way that we are to receive good news. That's how we're to do it. And then there's this, this very descriptive, very important term that some people are going to have a hard time with, even this morning. What does it say? It says... As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Wait a minute, what's happening here? There's a sovereign God over and he knows who will reject and he knows who will accept. Now, rather than being upset with, wait a minute, what about us? We make the choice here. Yes, we do have free will. I want you to accept it and encourage you to take it at face value and delight in it. Realize what happens in Scripture reveals in Antioch, just like in the community that you and I live in. There are those who are chosen. What does Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 say? Before the foundation of the world was set, God knows those that are going to accept him and those who are going to reject him. We see, what do we see here? We see this incredible, in this old missionary story, we see divine sovereignty and man's responsibility come completely together. And I, and I will never emphasize one over the other. That's God's unique design. He has designed this. There's no conflict that exists here in the mind of God. Think of it like this. Men are damned by their own choice and not by any act of God. And it points to the sovereign election of God. I like the way the Erdman writes like this in his commentary on this verse. The sovereignty of God is absolute. Yet it is never exercised in condemning men who ought to be saved, but rather has resulted in the salvation of men who deserve to be lost. And so, rather than asking this question, rather than asking, why is it that some end up in hell? Why? We have to ask the question, why do we not all end up in hell? And what do we see here? We see God's hand of grace reaching down. His love. I love the, the, the truth 
And as I remind you this morning, we have got to come to a place of trusting God. Although when it comes to rejection, we hate it. Wow, I just don't like somebody driving by completely rejecting me, leaving me on the side of a road all by myself. Rather than them rejecting us, they're actually rejecting a holy God. Know that truth and trust that. I love, I love Paul's encouragement later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6. He talks about the what? The fact that I planted the seed. Paul says, I shared the good news of the gospel. It says that Apollos has watered, but what? The Lord's made it grow. We have to trust that. We have to know that. We have to rest in that. In 49, we see what? In spite of the opposition of the Jews, the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. The gospel continues to go forward. Verse 52, it says that they were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So I trust that you understand the importance of what we need to know here. I, I put that one phrase, I put that one verse at the bottom of your notes, I want you to hold on to that today as you leave God's house on, on God's day, having been together with God's people, listening to the word of God, empowered by the spirit of God. I want you to know this truth of Acts chapter 13 and verse 47. I'll leave you with this thought. I have made you a light. God has called you and has made you a light to the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. That is the message of salvation. Be faithful in doing that. Trust God to be God, and you have the strength to understand the truth. Some will reject and some will accept, but ultimately we have the ability and the means through God and God alone to continue to be faithful in the endeavor that God has called us to have. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. I I thank you, Lord, for this reminder and teaching of what we we need to be certain of, what we need to know. God, it's hard truth. I would pray, Lord, that we would never stop loving, would never stop communicating, would would never stop trusting you to give us the means and the ability not to, to run parallel to a culture, but to to affect change through your word and through the gospel. God, I pray for those right now and, and every one of us here knows individuals that are rejecting the gospel. We don't know ultimately the end result. We know that you do, but you, we also know that you continue to call us to pray for them and to love them. Help us to be faithful in doing that and give us strength to be truth tellers in this time. Regardless of the criticisms that are labeled against us, may we be faithful and may you be glorified. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.